wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for July 26, 2018. I am Graham Giusa Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, today's show might be on the shorter side, as there's not a ton to talk about here today. We have Raw, SmackDown, you know, the usual WWE stuff, but not a ton happening. Like, it wasn't that newsworthy of a week, which is good. I like the weeks where we can just sit back, relax, and watch some good wrestling. Um, on NXT, there was a title change. I will be talking about that momentarily and a few other things from SmackDown, Raw, and 205 Live, as well as my two cents on the Impact Slammiversary pay-per-view from this past Sunday, which was absolutely excellent. And quite honestly, my favorite Impact, the best Impact pay-per-view that I've seen in at least five to six years. In at least five to six years. It was so good. So I'll be breaking down that event momentarily. Um, but before we get started, as always, guys, you can find me on the socials, follow me on the Twitter machine, at WrestleRant, find me on Facebook, like the page, facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews, on YouTube as well, youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews, and also on nextairwrestling.net, I got full written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, NXT, Main Event, the pay-per-views. Impact, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, and everything else that I watch wrestling-related. All the reviews are right there on nextairwrestling.net. And also, in addition to that, you can check out new episodes of WrestleRant Radio right there on the website every single Thursday. But not only on nextairwrestling.net, also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Find WrestleRant Radio Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. Of course, completely free, so be sure to do so today. It is now easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio on the regular. So check out the show on iTunes as well as on NextAirWrestling.net. So with all that being said, folks, let's get started here with Impact Slammiversary from this past Sunday. I really, really enjoyed this show. Like I said earlier, my favorite Impact, TNA, Global Force, whatever the fuck you want to call it, my favorite pay-per-view of this company's in at least five to six years. I would say since Slammiversary 2012. I remember watching that show and thinking, holy shit, TNA really took a turn for the better on this night. And you can watch all the pay-per-views on Global Wrestling Network. That's not just a silly, shameless plug for them. It kind of is. But um, they do have their streaming service, which is great, by the way, if you haven't already signed up. Every pay-per-view they've ever done, I believe, including the most recent ones. Maybe Redemption. I don't I don't think so. I might be wrong about that. Um, from back in April, I think it was. But every other pay-per-view was up there. Um, so be sure to check it out. they got a lot of great matches, content up there. Anyway, so I remember watching that 2012 Slammiversary show and thinking, wow, like this company really is currently better from a creative standpoint, better than WWE. I'm really enjoying it at the moment. 
Um, and that whole summer was great. They went live on Thursdays, which was really, really cool. They had a great roster at that point. And finally, it feels like they've got their core players back. There's a few people they're building around, a few top stars they have hope will we'll stick around for the long run. Like, you know, what EC3 was for a few years, Bobby Lashley was for a few years, James Storm was for a really, really long time. Um, they have a lot of people like that, which is cool that they can finally build around. Don't have to worry about them leaving and going to WWE. And I have no doubt a few of these people might be back in WWE at some point or will sign with WWE eventually, like a guy like a Moose or an Eddie Edwards, I feel will be in WWE eventually. Um, but nonetheless, you got guys like Johnny Impact, Austin Aries, Moose, Eli Drake, who just resigned, Pentagon Jr., Sammy Callahan, Eddie Edwards, Brian Cage, Matt Seidel. That's a Good, solid core group of guys. And for the girls, you have Allie, Tessa Blanchard, who is an absolute star, uh, Rosemary, Sue Young, Madison Rain. I'm not sure how much longer she might be around for, but Kiera Hogan, Taya Valkyrie. I know Sienna just left the company, which is a shame, but everyone else they got in that, and they have in that women's division, that knockouts division right now, is a really, really talented asset to that entire company. So again, Impact, if you have yet to give them a chance, I said it last week, check out Slammiversary, and I hope for those that did, enjoyed it, because I know I certainly did. So let's start breaking it down right now. We kicked off the show with a fatal four-way match, or just a four-way match, as Slammiversary, as uh, Impact would call it, between Johnny Impact, Phoenix, Taji Ishimori, and Petey Williams. So Petey Williams filled in for the injured Rich Swan. I may have mentioned that last week here in the show. It might have happened after I recorded. Um, but Rich Swan was indeed injured at a MLW taping, unfortunately. Last week, he could not compete in this match. It was still a great match. His absence was felt, though, unfortunately, though it was a really, really fun X-Division-style contest. I got a ton of time. Johnny Impact, of course, emerging victorious, picking up his first victory since leaving Impact for a few months there a few months ago. Uh, so great to see him back in the company with a win under his belt. Obviously, I would assume setting his sights on the Impact World Championship before long, but a great way to kick off the show. Fast-paced, intense, exciting. That's what this match should have been. There were no real stories being told here, no real rivalries at stake, but there didn't need to be. In terms of setting the tone for the remainder of the evening, this match succeeded in doing just that. And it was a big win for Impact, too. So again, really, really enjoyed this awesome stuff. The first women's match of the night, Saw Tessa Blanchard take on Allie. Um, real good stuff here. I thought the you know the feud kind of came out not really out of nowhere. It only really started a week or two ago, a few weeks ago. But like I said earlier, Tessa Blanchard's a real star. Um, I was shocked when NXT passed on her. I know it's been rumored for a while that she might be WWE bound, dating back to like not even last year, but like years ago. She has been making appearances in NXT for years now, and she was a part of the May Young Classic. I think she got bumped in the first round from uh, Kyrie Sane, which was a shame. Um, but I was shocked she lost so quickly. She had a great showing, though. And they never signed her, which was weird. Because I know it was rumored for a while when they were looking to pick up Ricochet. And I don't think they're together anymore. Um, but that being said, I figured they might come in as a package deal. And, you know, the NXT women's division needed her late last year. Not really so much now. But uh, she went to Impact instead, which has been a good fit for her. And I assume that after losing to Madison... After losing to Madison Rain twice, and after she had signed a full-time deal with the company for a, uh, a multi-year contract, which would, I think she's in there for the next two years at least, um, that they would start pushing her. Because they don't want to push someone they don't think is going to be there for the long run. So they were hesitant to push her at first, but 
Um, she got the win here in what was a really, really good match. Another great showing from Allie as well, who's really come a long way from her days as like a timid baby face or like the, the not the valet, the um, sidekick for Maria Canellis like two years ago. She's really evolved into a great character for the company, which is awesome. So again, I really enjoy this. I thought it was a really, really good women's match, a great showing for their knockouts division, and the right woman went over. In a House of Hardcore Rules match, we had Eddie Edwards taking on and defeating Tommy Dreamer. Uh, and a fun match. It was basically what you would expect it to be from Tommy Dreamer in 2018. I love Tommy Dreamer, but I really don't have much of a desire to see the guy wrestling on a TNA mainstream pay-per-view in 2018. But it was a good match, though. I thought Eddie Edwards got a good match out of him. The feud they've been telling has been, you know, really, really intense with Eddie, Eddie Edwards going off the deep end, thinking that Tommy Dreamer is, like, sleeping with his wife Alicia and all this other stuff. Um, so Eddie Edwards has really come a long way again as this well-developed character having a chip on his shoulder, going off the deep end, coming across as a legitimately crazy. And Tommy Dreamer has held his own in this feud as well, so that's what I've enjoyed about it. And the match was good too. So um, good hardcore brawl here. They didn't get you know go didn't go too over the top for its own good, which was good, which I appreciated. I think they went for a table spot a few times, but never actually delivered, which was weird. But beyond that, like the outcome, like the match. The post-match stuff, I would assume, was meant to indicate that Tommy Dreamer was passing that hardcore torch, um, passing that torch to Eddie Edwards as the next like hardcore superstar in Impact. I thought he might further beat him down and cement his heel turn, but we didn't get that. So Eddie Edwards still, you know, kind of off his rocker at the moment, but still uh, a great showing from both him and Tommy, nonetheless. For the Impact X Division Championship, Brian Cage challenging Matt Seidel for the gold, and a really, really good match here. Um, you know, playing up the big man versus a little man, typical formula, which we've seen time and time again done before. We've seen it over and over again over the years. But I thought it worked wonderfully for these two guys, that David versus Goliath, uh, the David versus Goliath, excuse me, dynamic, I thought was perfect. Um, Cage is a super impressive athlete. Um, he's not exactly an X Division guy, of course, but I think him and Side Out work so well together. I'm looking forward to the rematch, which I think is. Tonight on Impact, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, Brian Cage has really been on a roll since arriving at Impact a few months back. Knocking off a lot of different people. Eli Drake, Bobby Lashley on two separate occasions, and a number of others. And now Matt Seidel to clinch his first Impact Championship in the company, which is cool. Um, but yeah, again, I really, really enjoyed the match. I thought the finish was well done, too. Matt Seidel came off the top rope for a shooting star press finisher, only to get caught with a boot from Cage as he was laying down on the ground, which was a pretty sickening spot. It was less for the boot, but more so because Sidell got caught up in the rope. So it didn't look too, too good, but it still looked like Sidell got fucked up bad. And it was a good finish to an otherwise really, really fun match. Um, but yeah, Brian Cage, your new X Division champion. I have no idea who's going to be next to challenge him. We'll be up to challenge him first. But that being said, I assume the mindset here is to give Brian Cage the championship for the time being only to have him cash in on Austin Aries, who innovated Option C many, many years ago, and have Brian Cage beat Austin Aries for that championship at some point in the very near future. Um, and then from there, maybe Sidell maybe Sidel gets the belt back, or some other X Division guy, like a Red Swan or a Phoenix, or an Ishimori again. Anyway, I love this. Uh, Brian Cage continues to roll on as the undefeated star in Impact, and maybe the Impact World Championship is indeed in his future. For the Impact Knockouts Championship, we had Sue Young taken on Madison Rain. Um, this was probably the weakest match of the night, to be honest. It wasn't bad, but it was rather bland. Really nothing all too special about it. 
it succeeded in setting up Rain and having Rain set up Sue Young as the dominant ex or the dominant knockouts champion. So it succeeded in that respect because Madison Rain was never really destined to win the championship back. She's had a great comeback tour of sorts an impact over the last number of months. It's been great to see her back. She's been able to hang with the talent of today, which is awesome. She's not old by any means, but she is an impact star of old from like a decade ago. Um, and she was in the company up until a few years ago, but she is back for the time being. She put over Sue Young in decisive fashion. So this was really all you could ask for from these two. Um, again, not an instant classic, but it succeeded in what it set out to do in establishing Young as a credible, unstoppable knockouts champion. And I would imagine that Rosemary will return at some point in the near future. I'm not sure how much longer she will be out for because she was injured a while ago. Um, hopefully she is back soon because I think that, I think the um, resuming that rivalry, um, rekindling that rivalry between Sue Young and Rosemary could be great for that knockouts division. Now we get into the great stuff on this pay-per-view. Again, this the undercard of the show was solid, was very, very good, but I thought they really kicked it up a notch with the final three matches, starting with the 51-50 street fight for the Impact World Tag Team titles, LAX defeating the OGs to retain their titles. Um, this was awesome. This was awesome. Your classic street fight, and I think we saw a similar match between LAX and OVE, if I'm not mistaken, at Bound for Glory last year. This was even better. I love Homicide. I love Hernandez. They came back together like they had never really missed any time to begin with. Uh, they have just such great chemistry as a tag team. But I've been loving and really digging this program that the OGs have been having with the current members of LAX, with Eddie Kingston branching off and doing his own thing with the OGs, and then um, Conan leading the faction of Ortiz and... I always forget the other guy's name, the current incarnation of LAX. Um, but this was awesome. I've been really digging it, like I said. I think they've really established the new LAX as the future of tag team wrestling. They've been having some great matches in that division for the past nine months or so, and they've been a great get for that Impact Tag Team division. Um, but this was another awesome showing from them. Had the right outcome with LAX retaining their tag team titles. I would assume based off what happened afterwards with the OGs attacking LAX and taking the belts, that the feud is not yet over, and that makes me happy, because this match was really, really good. More matches between these two teams, yes please. Um, and a mask versus hair match, Pentagon Jr. facing Sam, Sammy Callahan, excuse me. Um, again, another awesome match, and I mentioned this in my Slammiversary predictions last week here on the show, but I saw a match between Pentagon and Sammy at a Northeast Wrestling show about, about a year ago, about 13 months ago, it was June of 2017, and they worked wonderfully together. That might have been a no-DQ match. This wasn't technically a no-DQ match, but it felt like it with some of the stuff they incorporated. And I could have done without some of the interference from OVE and uh, that whole thing. But beyond that, it was a really, really fun match. They have great chemistry together. You had to know Pentagon was going over, but it's not about the destination. It's all about the journey. And the match itself was a hell of a lot of fun. Pentagon breaking the arm of Sammy, shaving his head afterward. I would hope this is another feud that continues well beyond this point because this match, if there was any indication, it shows how well they work together and how much more fun they can have in the ring in the in the weeks and months to come. So I would hope the feud is not yet over between Pentagon Jr. and Sammy Callahan. Then you get to the main event between Austin Aries and Moose for the Impact World Championship. Now they had a tough act to follow in that mask versus hair match as well as the 51 street fight for the uh, 51-50 street fight for the World Tag Team titles. But uh, they managed to do it. Moose and Aries managed to pull off a great main event of the show with no bullshit, 
no shenanigans. I mean, granted, Aries was being a typical heel and with the ref bumps and running away and trying to get himself DQ'd and the whole nine yards, but that's Aries as a heel. The guy is in his elements as a heel. He's really been doing great work and impact ever since he returned a few months back, and I hope he, um, and I hope he doesn't, uh, I hope he's around for the long term because I know he had signed a certain amount of dates and he's still the Impact World Champion. It might not be for too much longer. Like I said, I assume the end game is to have him drop the championship to Cage or Destination X, whatever that might be. Um, but in the meantime, he's really having a hell of a run in matches with Moose, Johnny Impact. Um, he had a great series of matches with Pentagon Jr. when he won back the belt a few weeks ago. So again, I've really been digging what Aries has been doing in Impact after he was kind of marginalized in WWE. The 205 Live stuff with Aries or with uh, Neville I thought was really, really good. But the matches were not as good as they could have been. And then beyond that, they had no plans for him. So Aries continuing to prove why he's one of the best in the world today, still in my opinion. But again, a great showing for Moose too. The guy really uh, came to play on this night. I mean, we've seen some very good matches from him before in Impact. Um, but this might have been his best yet. He had a really, really good showing. And I still remember watching him on a Best in the World pay-per-view from Ring of Honor like four years ago debut. And to think how far he's come since then as just kind of a rookie now into really a bona fide superstar, it's great to see. The guy has a very bright future ahead of him. And I think the plan was to bring him in NXT about two years ago. And then I think WWE got cold feet because he had a bad background. He had some background in domestic violence, even though it was from years ago. Whatever. Hopefully they change their mind eventually because the guy would be a great get for the NXT brand. But in the meantime, he's a good cornerstone for Impact. So again, thoroughly enjoyed the match. Awesome stuff here. And uh, Aries, still your Impact World Champion. So on the whole, this was an extraordinary show. The best Impact pay-per-view I've seen in years and years and years and years. Uh, the company has really turned it around in 2018 at the helm of... Um, Don Callis and Scott Demore, they've done some great work in charge of uh, creative and management and everything else and really turning the company around for the better. I don't think the company will ever be what it was destined to be just because there's been so much damage done that I think some people will never give them another chance. But you should. You really should turn into this pay-per-view or tune into the pay-per-view and see what they've uh, been offering for the last number of months now because this was the... Great culmination of what has been a fun few months for Impact, and hopefully just the beginning. Hopefully they can continue to build off of this and can can, can continue, that's a tongue twister, can continue to create some uh, compelling programming in the months that follow. So that being said, speaking of the future for Impact, they did announce on this show, which I did not catch during the broadcast, but rather afterward, Bound for Glory, the location has been set. From Melrose, New York. I don't know what arena or what building. I think Evolve just ran a show there. Some some promotion just ran a show there recently. But yeah, Impact is going there for their Bound for Glory pay-per-view later this year. And I am strongly considering it. That seems like it would be a lot of fun. Um, I went to two TNA shows. One in August of 2014 and another TV taping when they debuted on Destination America. In early, 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 like the onset of 2015. But I have not been to a TNA show since because obviously they stopped touring. Um, they were supposed to do a show here in Connecticut last summer, but they canceled it because they didn't sell enough tickets. Whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them be back here in the Northeast area. Would love to attend that show. It's nothing that's obviously set in stone yet. But between that, the Ring of Honor New Japan show and WrestleMania, you know, the Northeast, uh, New York, New Jersey region is getting real spoiled here between the final, like the, the three biggest... Um, shows of the year being held all in the same area. Also, Ring of Honor Final Battle, which I assume will be in New York this year, and if not, 
Um, I'm, it might be elsewhere. I'm not really sure, but since they will be back in Madison Square Garden over WrestleMania weekend next spring. But yeah, Impact's been killing it. I'm looking forward to hopefully being in attendance for the Bound for Glory pay-per-view in just a few short months. On that note, let's transition into Monday Night Raw from the next night. Uh, not nearly as good of a show, which is why I kicked off my thoughts on Slammiversary, because this review of Raw will not nearly be as positive. But we did kick off the show with a big announcement from Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, and Vince. Um, I was happy that they made this as big of a deal as possible. It felt like a big deal. It came across like a big deal. The crowd reacted like it was a big deal. Um, Stephanie, once again, taking, like, essentially credit for the women's evolution, all this other shit, is sickening to me. But beyond that, they did um, thank the talent, thank the fans, and everything else for getting the women's evolution, as they've dubbed it in recent months, um, underway, in recent years anyway. So, anyway, what we got here was the announcement of what has been rumored for a while now. I talked about it here on the show two, three weeks ago. Um, The first ever all-women's pay-per-view for WWE entitled WWE Evolution. And not the pay-per-view. It's not going to be a pay-per-view with Triple H and Ric Flair and Batista and Randy Orton, but rather an all-women's event, which looks fucking awesome on paper. Uh, They did announce at this event we're getting the Raw Women's Championship the SmackDown Women's Championship, the NXT Women's Championship, all being defended in addition to the finals from the 2018 May Young Classic, which is great news, as well as 50 women from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, and from the past, all being a part of this one pay-per-view. It is set for October 27th, I want to say it is. In Long Island, so it's not too, too far from me. Would be great to be in attendance for that event. Um, But yeah, the event, the announcement rather, came off as, you know, awesome. I thought it came across like a big, big deal, as it should. I mean, this is a big deal. I could have done without them shoving it down our throats every five minutes on Raw and on SmackDown, respectively. But putting that aside, the announcement itself is super cool. Uh, There's really not much more I can say about it that I haven't already said before. You're on the show, I talked about it at length when it was initially rumored about two weeks ago. But yeah, I love the idea of it. I think people are going to be super into it. I'm looking forward to seeing what matches they put together. And I'm hoping it won't be like your typical fucking battle royal, multi-person match, multi-person match. Like, I hope that now that they have three months to build to this pay-per-view, that they'll put in enough effort to make it as special as it could be. And by that, I mean, we already know Trish Stratus and Lita will be a part of the event in some capacity. Paige said that herself on SmackDown this week. So, again, I'm not sure if they're competing or doing commentary or whatever. I would assume they will be doing uh, matches. I will be. I, I do assume they will be wrestling in, in some sort of match. Otherwise, I mean, I think that'd be a big draw to have Trish in the show and Lita on the show advertised ahead of time because I know they were in the Women's Rumble, but those were surprise entrants. They were never once advertised for the match. Uh, we have not had an advertised Trish Stratus match, I don't think, since seven years ago. At WrestleMania 27, which is fucking ridiculous that it's been that long. And she's still in great shape. Looks awesome. Um, But Trish Stratus versus Sasha Banks comes to mind. The first match that I thought of when I saw the Iconics on the stage for the announcement on Raw this week was the Iconics versus the Bella Twins, which you have to know is coming. You have to know is coming. Maybe a three-way between the Iconics, the Bellas, and Laycool. Michelle McCool and Layla. That would be, you know, that could be interesting, I guess. Um, the battle of the three most annoying fucking women's stables in WWE history. <laughs> Hopefully, as long as you don't put a mic in their hands, that could be a, a good match. Maybe not a great 
segment uh, in terms of like talking and promos and shit, but in terms of a match, that could be a lot of fun. Um, Bailey versus Trish, uh, that really doesn't do much for me, but you can do Becky versus Lita. Um, I know those two have kind of idolized each other for a while now. Uh, Lita versus AJ Lee was a match that always intrigued me, dating back several years. I doubt we'll see that. I doubt AJ will be a part of this pay-per-view. It would be great to see. I think she might be one of the more anticipated returns in terms of women's competitors to WWE. Because everyone else we've seen come back at least once. You know, Michelle McCool now. um, Caitlyn's coming back. Obviously, Trish and Lita have been back, so... I think AJ Lee from recent years, because we have not seen her in a ring for over three years now, since the night after WrestleMania 31 back in 2015. So I think having her back would be great. I don't expect it, but it would be a great get for the pay-per-view if they can uh, somehow pull it off. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the show. Hopefully they can, uh, you know, execute it as well as they will likely build it and making it out, making it out to be a big deal in the months that are preceding the pay-per-view. And I've also, you know, heard the rumors maybe there will be the place that they debut the long-rumored women's tag team titles. I'm not completely on board with that idea, if only because they have enough women, but between the brand split and just, uh, I don't know. I don't think the roster is deep enough to to need women's tag team championships. I just don't think it's necessary, at least with Raw and SmackDown still separate entities, which they should stay for the foreseeable future. But it wouldn't be the worst thing, and maybe they'd find a way to work it out. Anyway, speaking of tag teams, we did have the Raw tag team titles up for grabs at the start, the opening match for Raw this week. Between the B team and the former champions, Woken, Matt Hardy, and Bray Wyatt. Another decent match. I think it might have been better, a little bit better, than the Extreme Rules match um, last Sunday. Not that much better. Um, it was just kind of there. Really is just kind of there. The, the B team's matches really don't do much for me. They're just kind of just, again, just kind of there. Um, I like Woken Matt, I like Bray Wyatt, I like the act, and I've said this time and time and time and time again, but I'm not sure who we're supposed to be feuding or supposed to be che- uh, cheering for in this feud. So last week, the B team beat the Ascension, and they were made out to be babyfaces. And then this week, they win fair and square, they win clean, and then Woken Matt and Bray Wyatt attacked him afterward. So it seemed like a heel turn, but not really, because the commentators didn't really play them up to be heels, didn't really act like it was the heel turn for Woken Matt and Bray Wyatt, so again, I'm not sure what the fuck they're going for here, it's really hard to care, it seems like the rivalry will resume in the weeks ahead, which does absolutely nothing for me, a B team versus Woken Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt feud is not the best way to revitalize the Raw Tag Team division, when you have the revival and the Authors of Pain waiting in the wings, doing fucking nothing right now, Um, so hopefully this feud wraps up soon, because I can't really give a shit. I really have no reason to give a shit about another match between the B team and Woken Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. Another tag team match, it was Tag Team Mania on Raw this week. Sasha Banks and Bayley teaming up, this time as a cohesive unit, to take on Samantha Simon and Karen Lundy, two job girls they lost in the matter of a minute or two. Um, Sasha Banks and Bayley seemingly back on the same page after they professed their love for one another last week on Raw. Um, acting all friendly on this week's Raw, I would absolutely love, I would love nothing more than if it was revealed that Sasha Banks was merely playing Bailey and that this was all an act um, just to turn on her in the end before SummerSlam and they face off one-on-one. Otherwise, why the fuck was this drawn out over the course of four or five months? This could have been done months ago if they weren't going to turn on each other. I find that so stupid. Again, if their plan is to have them 
win the tag team titles, become the inaugural women's tag team champions. I get it. But I originally thought that the reason they dragged this out for so long was just to get to SummerSlam, the same site of their epic instant classic from three years ago, TakeOver Brooklyn 1. Um, if that's not the end game and they're going for the tag title thing instead, that's fine. But I, I don't know. They're quickly losing my interest is what I'm saying. I know the match, the eventual match could be great. Um, but like the buddy-buddy shit and everything else, like, eh, I don't know. Really just, it seems like they're wasting time and they could be doing so much more with these two. So we'll see. It's all about the aftermath and how they execute and how they go about booking it. But right now I'm not too enthralled with what they're going for at the moment. Braun Strowman came out to talk about his Money in the Bank contract and Kevin Owens and all this other stuff. Pretty generic promo. I mean, he showed personality here, but I didn't think it was one of his better promos. It felt forced. It felt scripted. Kevin Owens came across great. Um, Kevin Owens came across like a man on a mission to show that why he really has been bullied over the past two months or so. He is really the victim in all of this. What did he ever do wrong? What did he ever do to Braun Strowman to piss him off so much to fucking flip over his car Put him in a porta potty and, and push it over the stage, push it, uh, you know, down the stage, whatever, off the stage, and then uh, be thrown off the top of a steel skate, a steel cage structure. What the fuck did Kevin Owens ever do to justify all of that punishment? That's what my question is for Braun Strowman. More importantly, WWE creative. The few jumped the shark weeks ago when that happened, when the whole porta potty shit happened. No pun intended. Um, But they are going to face off at SummerSlam. If Owens can beat Strowman, he becomes the new Mr. Money in the Bank. I hate when they fucking put the briefcase on the line because it completely defeats the purpose of becoming Mr. Money in the Bank in the first place. I know other companies do it. When WWE does it, it just seems stupid. I don't know. That's just me. Um, But again, I don't think Owens will win anyway. He got the win at Extreme Rules technically. So that was merely a way just to set him up as the victor. The only real reason why he won that Extreme Rules match was so he can face Braun again at SummerSlam, this time for the briefcase. So I, I do expect Braun to win and to cash in later on that night to salvage the show. Because I can't imagine they would have Roman beat Brock and then have Braun not cash in and end the evening on Roman Reigns as the as the new Universal Champion in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I find that very hard to believe. But this segment also took a turn for the worse when Owens left. And by the way, Owens can be a great babyface at some point. If he has the same type of passion and intensity and love for his family in a year or two down the road when they inevitably turn a babyface, then he's going to be a great good guy. So I'm looking forward to that day. But for Braun Strowman, so Owens leaves. Braun gets distracted or interrupted, I should say, by Jinder Mahal and Sunil Singh, who tried to put him at peace by doing the whole like fucking home shit and all that other whatever that Jinder's been doing for weeks now backstage. Complete waste of time this was. Complete waste. Complete waste. It was so stupid, could not care less, and it only really made me sad more than anything else that we had to sit through six months, not a week, not a month, not even two months, but six months of Jinder Mahal's WWE champion. How the fuck did it ever get to that point? So that was dumb. Mickey James took on Italian in a pretty short match. It was fine for what it was. Nothing to write home about. James won, rarely, for a rare occasion. She actually won a match. Um, Natalia lost after distraction after a distraction from Alexa Bliss at ringside. So the match was uh, not really that good, but at least Mickey James finally won a match. So there was that. Um, we had the Authors of Pain come out and call out Titus Worldwide, saying they wanted, or not Titus Worldwide, they called out anyone but... Titus Worldwide. They've already beaten them like two or three times by this point. They want new competition. 
Who else accepts the invitation but fucking Titus Worldwide? And they come out, and Apollo Crews just goes on this rant about how good of a person Titus is and why people should follow his message, and it's like, what? And as if that wasn't weird enough, we had the authors of Pain telling or asking Titus what they're going to, like, tell me something. I like They, they said something about, like, oh, what are you going to learn me? Like, what are you going to teach me? But he said, what are you going to learn me? It's like, oh, my God. These guys desperately need a mouthpiece. If only there was a man who had managed them in NXT that was still alive and still around and still willing to manage these guys on the road. Hmm. I can only think of one man. I can, I, I, I can only imagine who else could that could be. Jesus Christ. This was terrible. This was awful. The authors of Pain, Sanity, it only took a couple months, but these guys have already felt like just another act on both Raw and SmackDown. It's such a shame. But yeah, this was terrible. Titus Worldwide... Um, attacked them, forced them to flee from the ring, and that was that. Mojo Raleigh picking up another win over Tyler Breeze. For what reason? I don't know. Just to resume momentum, maintain momentum. Yeah, Mojo Raleigh wins again. Um, I still don't care. Finn Balor took on, took on Drew McIntyre for the first time ever, one-on-one. And what was a pretty good match. I thought they worked well together. Ended on a DQ after interference from Dolph Ziggler, setting up the subsequent tag team match between Rollins and Balor, taking on Ziggler and McIntyre. Very fun match. One of the few highlights of Raw this week. Uh, Rollins and Balor always work well together, whether it's as, as opponents or tag team partners. Ziggler and McIntyre, same thing. I thought this was a great showcase for all four guys. And then it was also announced on this show that it will be Rollins and Ziggler again for the Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam next month. Now, it would be a lot better if they added someone else to that equation with Rollins and Ziggler, whether it be McIntyre or Balor or both. I would love that idea, a four-way between those four guys. Because as of right now, I could not care less about a fucking Rollins-Ziggler part four. Part four. Because they had a match on Raw where Ziggler won the belt initially from Rollins. They had the rematch on Raw. They had another match at Extreme Rules. They're having a fourth match at SummerSlam. It's rematch of Mania at fucking SummerSlam this year. But anyway, um, this was a real, real good match. Balor seemingly back in a feud with Baron Corbin, which is why I'm not optimistic that he will be added to the Intercontinental Championship match. Um, Balor and Corbin, again, does nothing for me. I could not care less about a Balor and Baron Corbin feud. Jesus Christ. Their match at Extreme Rules was dull enough. Having a part two is just not necessary. Really not necessary at all. Ember Moon avenging her loss to Sarah Logan from last week against Liv Morgan this week. Yes, Liv Morgan and Ember Moon have now had three matches on Raw that all ended the same way with Ember Moon, uh, with Ember Moon winning. As she should, but then why have Ember lose to Sarah Logan last week? The 50-50 booking is so ridiculous with some of these people on the roster. It's not... Everyone on the roster, like Mojo Raleigh of all people, they actually keep consistent and have him win almost all of his matches. But for someone like an Ember Moon, um, she wins, win. I mean, she just lost one match last week, and she's not damaged goods by any means, but it's like, what was the point of having her lose to Liv Morgan if she wasn't going to get, or having her lose to Sarah Logan if she was not going to get that win back this week? I don't know, it just seemed really pointless to me. But yeah, the match was what it was. Another typical match from Liv Morgan. She's really not that good. Thankfully, Amber Moon is. And she has a very bright future ahead of her on Raw. Um, she's great in the ring. The character work could use some uh, work. But um, Ember Moon is uh, just a great asset in general. And hopefully she is contending for the Raw Women's Championship before long. Elias, over the course of the evening, was attempting to perform songs from his new album, which was released on Monday. 
And no, it's not very good, but it's basically what you would expect from, Al- from Elias. And the singing, but not really singing, just making fun of fans and the crowds and all that other shit. It's entertaining in that respect. It's not going to make the top 10 on iTunes or the fucking Billboard charts, whatever. But for what it is, it's, you know, and it, it, you know it's, it's funny. Um, he attempted to perform the songs all throughout the night, only to be interrupted in the end by Bobby Lashley and multiple other people. Um, so yeah, Elias has a new album out. They don't know how to push the guy on Raw, but he does have a new album out, so there is that. Main event, a number one contenders match for the Universal Championship. The winner would face Brock Lesnar for the belt at SummerSlam next month. Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley in a rematch from Extreme Rules last week. Another very good match in these two. Actually better than their first encounter at Extreme Rules, I thought. Uh, Lashley looked great here. Reigns looked very, very good. They work well together. They have awesome chemistry. And uh, Roman Reigns, in the end, scoring the victory with one spear to become the new number one contender to the Universal Championship. We all saw this coming. It was not unpredictable in the slightest. We all figured that Roman would win. There was a a very, very small chance that Bobby would win. But in the end, it was Roman Reigns reigning supreme as the new number one contender for what felt like the fucking 50th time we're getting Reigns and Brock at SummerSlam. So that is that. Uh, Reigns, I do assume, will be the one to beat Brock for the belt at the pay-per-view. Where does Lashley go from here is the question. I have no clue. Baron Corbin is busy with Finn Balor, seemingly. Dolph Ziggler's busy right now with Seth Rollins over the Intercontinental Championship. Drew McIntyre, maybe. What is this, Slammiversary 2016? I guess maybe, but I don't know. That seems uh, a bit random. Jinder Mahal would be the only person that makes sense, but I hope to God that's not what happens. Jinder and Bobby Lashley would be absolutely atrocious. So I hope that's not the match that we get at the pay-per-view. Um, but I feel bad because Lashley has built up a decent amount of momentum in this feud with um, Roman Reigns. Got that big one at the pay-per-view. Now it really doesn't even matter because he's not going for the belt at SummerSlam. It would have been a lot better if they just did Roman and Bobby and Lesnar in a three-way for the championship at the pay-per-view instead of a fucking one-on-one match again between Roman and, and uh, Brock Lesnar. I think it would have been far more interesting if it was Roman and Brock and Bobby in a match that we've never seen before. We finally get to see Bobby and Brock, because at this point, if Bobby's not facing Brock at SummerSlam, I don't think he ever will, which sucks, but that's just the way that it goes. Um, But yeah, this was a really good match. I'm just not thrilled with the outcome. We'll see how they handle it. Brock will be on Raw this week, or this coming week, I should say. Um, so we'll see how they handle the feud this time around, but I'm not too optimistic. It's really the reason why I'm not going to SummerSlam. That and the fact I'm already going to take over, but I have no desire to see another Brock and Roman main event at, uh, at SummerSlam for the Universal Championship, this time with Roman Reigns finally overcoming the Beast to become the title holder. Um, I have no desire to see that whatsoever. Thankfully, SmackDown was a much better show on Tuesday night setting the stage for more for more matches at the SummerSlam pay-per-view, this time from the SmackDown side. Um, kicking off the show, a great promo from Randy Orton addressing his actions on Jeff Hardy from last week, basically saying, this is all your fault, people. This is all your fault. If it wasn't for you, I would not attack Jeff Hardy. It's people like him that cause you to disrespect me. That lack of respect is what caused me to attack Jeff Hardy. So it's the circle of life here on SmackDown. Um, but Randy Orton brought up you know, the admiration that he had for the fans at one point, but then he realized, like, why should I care about them? Because it's all about me. I used to be the legend killer. Now I'm going to kill every beloved babyface that you love on the... He didn't say babyface, obviously, but he said every person that you cheer for, that you love, I will target here on SmackDown. So to me, that says AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, 
and Jeff Hardy. There aren't any other there, may, there aren't many other top baby faces on this show except for them, and maybe Rusev eventually, um, which would be great if they turned him babyface at some point in the near future. But um, yeah, no, I like this a lot. I like the Orton promo, which I no, I thought I would never say. Orton has never been the greatest talker. And even when he does cut promos, it comes across as monotone and just very boring and whatever, one-dimensional. But I thought this is a great promo because it really established what you know his heel turn is all about, which we never really see. Strange to say, usually we're just, you know, someone goes heel and then we're never really given an explanation why they went heel or it's a half-assed explanation. This actually made sense. Orton has always been at his best as a heel. Always. Constantly. So I'm glad they finally took the um, liberties in turning him. And now he's working with people he can finally thrive against. And people like Jeff Hardy and Shinsuke Nakamura, people he will have good chemistry with. So, anyway, I love the promo. I thought it was a great way to kick off the show. Orton finally feels exciting again, to an extent. Like, I cannot wait to see what he does next on the show, in that type of way, you know? Um, But yeah, Orton's promo gets two thumbs up from me. I don't know what the SummerSlam match is going to be, though. Whether it be Orton and Hardy, because I know Hardy was off the show this week, but he's still doing live events. So I could see them doing Orton, Hardy, and Nakamura because Nakamura cut a promo on the show backstage talking about Hardy, talking about Orton. So I think it will be a triple threat for the championship at the pay-per-view, um, which is fine by me um, just because Hardy and Orton and or you know Orton and Nakamura one-on-one would be great, but with both being heels seemingly, it would make no sense. So I would throw Hardy in there, keep the belt in Nakamura, and maybe have Orton like punt Hardy in the head on the subsequent SmackDown or something like that just to send Hardy off of TV for a few weeks and uh, maybe, if, if not months, to uh, rehab the injuries, you know, get the back in better condition and take, just take some time off in general and then be back better than ever by the end of the year. In our first match of the show, we had Andrade Sinatomas taking on Rusev one-on-one on the two people who recently lost AJ Styles looking for another shot at the WWE Championship. Lana and Zelina Vega getting at it at ringside. This is a good match, very hard-hitting. For match, technically pitting two heels against each other, because Rusev is still a heel at this point, which he shouldn't be, but he is, I guess, technically, by definition of what a heel is. Um, this was really, really good, especially the final stretch or so. I thought the commercial break kind of hurt it, but beyond that, I thought it was a really, really good match. Andrade going over after interference from, or distraction from Aiden English or ringside. Inadvertent interference. Um, he came to the aid of Lana before... He accidentally knocked her down. Rusev got distracted. Andrade lays out Rusev, picks up the victory. So I don't really want Rusev Day to break up. I don't really see the point of having them break up. Um, I think it would be a lot better if you just kept them together as a unit. They're much stronger together than they are apart. I talked about that last week. Um, Aiden would freaking fall off the face of the earth if he wasn't with Rusev and Lana. I would just keep it Rusev and um, Aiden English. I don't really care about Lana being a part of the act, to be quite honest. But um, it seems like they are going somewhere with this. I would much rather have them as a cohesive unit battling for the tag team titles instead of freaking New Day for the millionth time. But we'll see where they go with this. I can't imagine we're going to have Rusev and Aiden English at SummerSlam. Like, who cares? Maybe on the kickoff show? I don't know. But like I said, in a perfect world, I would have Rusev be the one to be a babyface. Or all three have them be babyfaces just because SmackDown needs more babyfaces right now. They have Brian, They have AJ. But they turn Nakamura. They turned Orton. They need more babyfaces. Um, and turning Rusev would be the, the key to doing that. So hopefully they turn him in the near future. Samoa Joe squashing the returning R-Truth, who we were told that was not in action, had not been in action, since the WrestleMania 34 kickoff show in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Before that, you would have to go back to a battle royal that was held on Raw back in August of last year. Um, that Truth lost. It was like a number one contender's Intercontinental Championship Battle Royal. 
Uh, before that, he lost to Elias, I think, in the Raw after SummerSlam in the Barclays Center. Um, that was his last singles match on WWE TV. So Truth has really been off TV for a long time now, rehabbing injuries, doing rap albums, doing some other stuff. So I don't really think he's long for the wrestler role in WWE, maybe as an agent. But I did think he looked, he looked good here. Joe got the decisive victory, as he should have, continuing to roll along as he sets his sight on the WWE Championship. He sets his sights, I should say, on the WWE title come SummerSlam, which I will get into momentarily. Asuka taking on Billy Kay at this point in the show. Um, bouncing back from a recent loss to Carmella at Extreme Rules, which, you know, that feud did so much damage to Asuka. I'm not really sure where she goes from here. Um, at least she won here, though, in the matter of like a minute or two. The Iconics have not been lighting the world on fire at all since coming to WWE. Um, and it's kind of a shame because they had a great act going, a great thing going in NXT. But as of right now, they really just kind of feel just kind of there at the moment in WWE. They're just kind of like spinning their wheels, treading water. They're not bad, but they are just like, they're there to take losses for people like Asuka and Charlotte and Becky Lynch. They're not there to do anything of note. So Asuka wins. She beats Billy Kay. Um, and, you know, Asuka came across as really over the top here and like, oh, like like an anime character. Like fucking anime, which is terrible. I mean, not anime is terrible, but like the fact that they're ruining the mystique that Asuka once had just really bothers me. But the cat's out of the bag. You can't go back to having her be undefeated. So what do you do with her? I would turn her heel. We talked about this last week, I think, here on the show. But I think having her go heel would be the best possible way to get her back on track. Because as of right now, I could not care less about Asuka. I could not care less about whatever the hell she's doing or what she's not doing. Having her go heel, chase a heel Becky Lynch for that championship would be awesome. So I'm totally in line for that. I would love to see... Asuka go heel at some point in the near future, maybe not until after SummerSlam, but at least she's still on the show for right now when he matches, so that is a plus. I would have been really concerned if she lost to Billy Kay. I know she lost to Carmella twice, which is concerning enough, but at least, you know, she's winning the uh, the little matches. You gotta win the little matches before you can win the big matches. Up next, we had Paige revealing AJ Styles' opponent for SummerSlam for the WWE Championship, but before that, Paige being interrupted by James Ellsworth, who said that I want the shot at SummerSlam for the WWE title. Instead, instead of getting the title shot, he got a pink slip from Paige. James Ellsworth, no more on WWE TV, begging the question, why was he brought back in the first place? Why? What the fuck was the point of bringing back James Ellsworth only for him to be fired in the matter of a month? He came back no more than a month ago at Money in the Bank, and now he's already gone from the company. Again, what was the point? Didn't help Carmella any, didn't help him any. The guy's not that good to begin with. I mean, he seems like a great guy, and he's really appreciative to be here and all this other stuff. Uh, we, You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but we saw this guy less than eight months ago before he got fired or before he was brought back after being fired. So I'm not really sure why he was even brought back in the first place. I mean, he served his role well in being annoying and getting his ass kicked by Asuka, but beyond that, what was what was even the point? And it's not like, oh, James Ellsworth was the real reason why Carmella cashed in her briefcase and won the title or was the reason why she kept the championship. No, because he came back when she beat Asuka and Money in the Bank. She was not around, he was not around when she cashed in the contract and originally became the SmackDown Women's Champion. He wasn't around when she beat Charlotte at Backlash. So the timing is just really, really weird. I'm not even sure what the point of that was, but he has gone from WWE, so rejoice. But Samoa Joe did emerge as AJ's next challenger to the championship. It's AJ and Joe in a WWE ring, which blows my friggin' mind, but I'm so excited to see it. 
Um, of all the matches that are on tap and are being rumored for the pay-per-view, that's the one I'm excited for the most. It's a match I've been waiting for in this company for years and years and years, and we finally got it. Um, and it would not be out of the ordinary. It would not be you know, too far-fetched to say that Samoa Joe could become WWE champion on that show. It's not too far-fetched at all. So we'll see. I mean, I would have no issue with AJ retaining that title and going on to face like Orton or whoever um, on the heel side coming out of the pay-per-view. But Joe as champion would be just as awesome, if only to see him finally get his uh, just due as the champion. So I would very much love to see that. But anyway, continuing along here on SmackDown, Becky Lynch beating Carmella to earn the opportunity to vie for the SmackDown Women's Championship at SummerSlam in what was honestly the best Carmella match I probably have ever seen. Point me to a better match this woman has ever had in the main roster, or NXT for that matter, or NXT, than this one with Becky Lynch. She's had some decent matches before, but usually her best matches on SmackDown. I mean, honestly, the, the Nikki Bella matches weren't bad either, to be honest. Beyond that, though, uh, Carmella's best opponent has always been Becky Lynch. So I'm glad they had a good match here. Carmella not resorting to the typical fucking kicking antics, and she actually attempted to wrestle for once. So I appreciated that. It was a really good match. Um, Becky Lynch winning in a clean fashion. Like I said, now she gets a shot at SummerSlam. Becky Lynch and Carmella for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And I would have that be the place where Becky Lynch finally becomes champion again. Because Carmella, again, like I said, having a good showing here. But she is by no means a good fit for that championship. She's really not. They need to get that belt off of her ASAP as soon as SummerSlam. And I think Becky would be a great fit for the face of that division. Again, as she was two years ago. And as I mentioned earlier, a Becky Lynch and Asuka match for the SmackDown Women's title at that Evolution pay-per-view coming up in October. That, to me, would be awesome. So, again, hopefully that's the direction they're going in come the um, you know Evolution pay-per-view, come SummerSlam. Whether it be at SummerSlam or shortly thereafter, Becky Lynch is SmackDown Women's Champion is the ultimate destination, is ultimately where is ultimately where they should be going with the SmackDown Women's Championship picture. In the first match of the SmackDown Tag Team Title Tournament, we have the New Day taking on Sanity. The winners of this match would battle the bar, uh, the winner of the bar and the Usos on next week's show. Um, it was the New Day who reigned supreme to punch their ticket to the next round. It was a good match. It was solid. It was well wrestled. The only issue that I had with it, first of all, it wasn't as good as the Extreme Rules match. Although the tables match they had of the pay-per-view was a lot better than this. Um, it was not a bad match, but the first one felt more chaotic and enjoyable and exciting. This was just kind of there. Um, just a just a decent match at best. But it was alright. My only real issue with it was that New Day won clean. Sanity's suffering from the same issue they have since they showed up. Where they look strong, they lose. They look strong, they lose. They win a couple matches, two matches in a row, and then they lose. The 50-50 booking with this group is fucking ridiculous. No one's going to take them seriously if this continues to be the case. And they came in a SmackDown as a breath of fresh air. People were looking forward to seeing them. And now they feel like just another act on the roster, which is not good. These guys deserve so much better than that. But again, the New Day, I really, really hope, will not be the ones to face um, the Bludgeon Brothers for the belts at SummerSlam. Now, we have not technically seen the New Day versus the Bludgeon Brothers, so it's not that tired. It's like it hasn't been done to death like the Usos versus the Bludgeon Brothers are. I would go with the bar. I would have the bar be the team to take on the Bludgeon Brothers. I know they're two heel tag teams, but I feel like it would be the, it would be the best possible match. I feel like we've seen the New Day and the, the Usos in the tag team title picture for so long. It's time for something new. And I think the um 
I think the bar might be the answer to that. And we have not seen them on, we have not seen them on TV before this past Tuesday in like close to two months. So I'm glad they're back. Here's hoping they can win next week and then go on to face the Bludgeon Brothers for the SmackDown Tag Team Titles at SummerSlam. Also on the show, in the main event, we had, let's see here, Daniel Bryan interrupting the Miz and Mrs. premiere party ahead of the premiere of the show on on uh, on Tuesday night right after SmackDown on the USA Network. It was a pretty entertaining segment, Miz, a glorious asshole as always. Much more glorious than Bobby Roode, I'll give you that much on the mic. Um, this was a very good segment. Daniel Bryan falling for the ba- for the fake baby trick. The Miz pulling a, uh, a Snitsky here by revealing that he had a, sh- uh, a fake baby and then throwing it at Daniel Bryan before kicking him in the face, hitting a skull-crushing finale, and going off on The Miz. Going off on Daniel Bryan, I should say, was The Miz on the mic to close the show and pushing The Miz and Mrs. show before they went off the air. This was well done. I'm looking forward to Bryan and Miz ripping it up at SummerSlam, almost two years removed from when their feud first started. Now, I know they have history dating back to, like, 2010, um, but the latest incarnation of the rivalry really started back in 2016, right after SummerSlam when The Miz went off on Daniel Bryan and Talking Smack. So that should be good. Speaking of Miz and Mrs., I'll have a full review up of the series premiere on the USA Network on WWE Network and show this Friday. Real quick, though, the match or the, the show, the series premiere of the show on Tuesday night was not that good. It was kind of a dumb show, to be honest with you. I'll continue to watch and give it a chance, but the first episode did not impress me. It felt very stage, scripted, and stupid. The three S's with me. Uh, scripted, stupid, and staged. And no, I know that's most reality shows, but this one more so than like Total Divas or Total Bellas. It was pretty, pretty bad. But check it out for yourself on the USA Network. Anyway, before we close off the show, before we close out the show, I should say, 205 Live from right after SmackDown, Akira Tozawa taken on Jill and Jack Gallagher in a good match, very well wrestled. Tozawa wanted a rematch with Leo Rush. He will get it next week, I think next week, if not the week after. Tozawa, Leo Rush, part two. The first match, like I said last week, was good. I was hoping they would go more all out and really give us the match I know they're capable of. Maybe we'll get that in the rematch. As long as Leo Rush wins and goes over in decisive fashion again, I am more than content because Leo Rush is a star in the rise and should not be losing at this point in time to Akira Tozawa. Lucha House Party, I believe, was set to face Tony Nese and uh, Buddy Murphy in tag team action on the show. But because of uh, something going on with Tony Nese, who couldn't make the show, couldn't wrestle, whatever, they were replaced by Ryan DiPolo and Chris Robinson, a.k.a. two job guys. Um, Lucha House Party's Kalisto and Lince Dorado looking great here, a fun showcase for them. And then the main event, a fatal four-way match to determine the next number one contender to the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. It was Adeo Tommy, Mustafa Ali, TJP, and Drew Gulak battling it out. Um, far from a blowaway bout, not nearly as good as you think it would have been, considering the talent involved here. But they told a good story. It was three heels and a babyface, with Ali being the sole babyface in the match. They teamed up on him early on. He battled back, got the crowd behind him. The final few minutes were really, really fun. And I liked what they went for with the finish, because Tommy just went off on Ali. Just got really, really pissed. And threw him around ringside, threw him back in the ring to pin him before being blindsided by Gulak. Gulak threw a Tommy to the side, locked in the choke on Ali, and became the new number one contender to the Cruiserweight Championship. So a surprise finish. I did not expect it would be Gulak becoming the number one contender, but I'm happy to see it. The guy's great and has really come a long way since the uh, the uh, rebirth of 205 Live a few months ago. So uh, Gulak and Alexander should be great, but I also look forward to the Ali and Atami program too. Um, that should be a great feud, a great uh, great series of matches they could have here on the show. 
But another enjoyable edition of 205 Live on the whole. And then lastly from NXT on Wednesday, really the only thing really worth noting from the show was that Tommaso Ciampa knocked off Aleister Black in shocking fashion to become the new NXT champion. Yes, the NXT championship has not changed hands on an episode of NXT in years, if not since like the the, the debut, not since the debut of the title six years ago, because I know Big E won it on the show too, as did Bo Dallas. Um, they won it on episodes of NXT years and years ago, like five years ago. Um, but yeah, this was really surprising. I was not expecting that. Tommaso Ciampa winning the championship after Johnny Gargano interfered, attempted to lay out Ciampa only for that to backfire on Black, and Ciampa taking advantage, pinning Black, handing him his first ever singles defeat in NXT, and becoming the new NXT champion. So Tommaso Ciampa, as I said time and time again, is the hottest heel in all of wrestling right now. He is really firing on all cylinders, doing great work. Um, I look forward to seeing him as NXT champion. I look forward to seeing what he will do as NXT champion. I guess only time will tell. But as of right now, I think the match, unless it's already been announced as far as I know, will be Ciampa, Gargano, and Black for the the NXT championship in a three-way at TakeOver. So that should be an awesome match. I look forward to that, and hopefully um, they can deliver another instant classic. And I would have put the belt on Ciampa in Brooklyn, but they had to get to Brooklyn somehow without doing a fuck finish here to set up, you know, to set up the um, the match in Brooklyn. They had to give Ciampa some sort of a win to set up the need for Johnny to be in the match too, as well as Black. So I thought they did a good job of that, and we have Ciampa as the new NXT champion, and I can ultimately see Gargano being the one to take the title from him at some point down the road. Maybe not in Brooklyn, but maybe over WrestleMania weekend or the War Games show or the Royal Rumble weekend show in Phoenix next year. Whatever they decide to do, they will do it right knowing NXT, but I am looking forward to TakeOver Brooklyn and being there for that show uh, nonetheless because that match should be great. And that's in addition to Kyrie Sane versus Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's Championship. So two matches in, the show is already lit, as the kids would say. But anyway, guys, that does it for this week's edition of WrestleRant Radio. Thank you for checking out the show. As always, I appreciate it. Find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. On YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews. And also, right here on nextairwrestling.net for full written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, Main Event, NXT, Impact, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, Everything that I watch that is wrestling-related is reviewed right here on the website. And also the home of WrestleRant Radio. New episodes are uploaded every single Thursday, but it is now easier than ever to check out the show in uh, in an avenue and somewhere other than just nextdaywrestling.net. You can also do so through iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You not only get every archived episode dating back to October 2013, you get the new episodes too. I'm automatically downloading to your streaming device. As soon as it's uploaded on uh, on Thursday mornings, Thursday afternoons, whatever. So be sure to check out the show. I appreciate it. Your support means the world. So we will be back next Thursday with more WWE talk. There's not a ton going on in the world of wrestling right now. So whatever happens on Raw, SmackDown, NXT, in the works, and elsewhere in the world of wrestling, um, I look forward to uh, breaking it down right here for you guys on WrestleRant Radio next week. So until then, guys, have a great rest of your weekend, week, weekend, whatever the hell it is. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Oh,